the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Hey everybody, have you had a good, uh, good afternoon? Lots of exploration. Did anybody go in the sea? Yeah, cool. Is that like with wetsuits on? Yeah, did anyone go in the sea without a wetsuit on? This morning, cool. All right. I feel like that's pretty good, yeah. That's pretty good. I feel like I need to see evidence. Um, from t- <laughs> so uh, maybe tomorrow morning, if you get that evidence recorded and signed off, then there could be a prize. You never know. Um, anyway, we're going to carry on in this, uh, this journey through Romans 5. Who's mobile phone? I'm going to pop that on there. Um, going to carry on this journey through Romans 5. Sorry to the music team. Just destroying your, your place. Um, and, uh, and this particular sort of focus on this place of peace in Romans 5 that we've arrived at. This sort of view of uh, what God has done for us, who we are in Christ. And that idea I spoke about earlier of being secured in God's love, that we're actually finding our security not through the forms of striving, but through God's love for us. And I think I said this morning that that securing in God's love is both an objective fact, uh, it's both the objective facts that we need to under- comprehend of what God has done, whether we feel it or not, but it is also a lived experience. It's both the objective facts or evidence and experience. It's, it's also the experience that the Holy Spirit wants us to have of God's love. And this is where we reach uh, a couple of other verses. We're going to particularly focus tonight, if you have a Bible open, uh, on Romans 5, verses 3 through to verse 5, and dot around a a couple of other places. But I'm just going to read those three verses, Romans 5, verses 3 to 5, and then we'll return to them. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So notice that language there of the Holy Spirit pouring God's love into our hearts. It's it's now in the realm of experience. In fact, three times in this short passage, Paul refers to joy or rejoicing as some some kind of... um, esoteric experience of the, the reality of what the facts tell us. And it's very important to get this right, isn't it? I often like to imagine it this way. I'm hopeless at drawing, so forgive me. But imagine, you know, you've got uh, Faith walking along a wall. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll put him on a wall or her. And um, so Faith is walking along a very sort of narrow wall. Very important that it doesn't fall off. And Faith needs to keep its eyes on Oh my goodness. That's, that's facts, by the way. right? So this is faith. Faith is walking along the wall. The important thing is that faith stays on the wall. And faith needs to keep its eyes on the facts. Keep looking, not behind, but forward at what God has said and done. Feelings, then, will follow on behind. right? You've got these three things. You get the points. You don't want faith continually sort of turning around and worrying about its feelings. Because then it will just lose perspective and become vulnerable to particularly uh, times in life where the feelings are not so obvious. So you don't want faith continually worrying about 
about its feelings. You want faith focused on the facts, really rooted in what's true. And then, and here's the point, feelings will follow on behind. Right? You don't need to worry about your feelings, but feelings will follow on behind. To say that the Christian life has nothing to do with your feelings is also not true. It's, it's based on the facts, and then the feelings follow. To say it has nothing to do with the feelings, a bit, I mean, I've been having a bit of trouble with one of my, one of my teeth, and I went to the dentist um, last week, and, uh, and they said that classic line of, um, don't worry, you won't feel a thing, you know, as they get this drill out. It's like, say, it's like say, reading the New Testament and saying, don't worry, you won't feel a thing. Of course you're going to experience and feel things if this is true. It's profoundly experienced. But we keep our eyes on the facts and feelings follow on behind. So if we, at the same time, you know, if we have a form of Christianity that's entirely based on our feelings, then it becomes sentimental. And I think sentimental, but also I'd say vulnerable, wouldn't you? Uh, a sentimental faith is very vulnerable to the way life changes. The seasons come and go, and we're going to look at that in a moment. But, but equally, if we have a faith that's if we have a faith that's entirely based on facts but has no sense of experience of these things, then it's purely theoretical. It's a dry thing that doesn't actually lead to a life-giving transformation. So we don't want a faith that's either sentimental or purely theoretical. We want a faith that's rooted in what Christ has done but full of the Holy Spirit who applies that work to us. And this is, I think, what we move on to then. Having focused on the facts, you know, what did we see? What did we see this morning? Romans five verse six. You know, while we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And you notice that beautiful thought that while we were not not, it wasn't when we were at our best. It wasn't as Jesus didn't make the decision he made with our best in mind. It was while we were powerless, while we were at our worst, when we didn't have any basis from which to impress him. He made the decision to go to the cross for us. And I just think, you know, that's the object, ultimate objective fact. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's a demonstration of the love of God that is the fact, the fact etched in real history, etched in real time and space uh, on Golgotha, this rocky outcrop. And some of you may have been to, even to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is built over that site. And I, I was actually there back in, September, which is very fortunate given all that's transpired since on a filming project um, for a TV series that's coming out this year about the life of Jesus. And we had access to go down into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre into an area that I'd never been in before. And I don't think anyone had ever filmed in before. And there you had a much closer, I mean, if, if you've been there, it's a frustrating sight in many ways because you want to capture what Jesus experienced, but instead it's been so overbuilt and overdeveloped. But there was this sort of very visceral sense of just this rocky cliff of Golgotha. And it took, I really took it in. He actually did it here. God's love is not simply a, a thought or a philosophy or an ideal. Etched in time and space on that rocky outcrop, Christ died for our sins. So that's the fact that faith needs to look to. And as we look to that fact, feelings follows on behind. Now, in particular, in this passage that we're going to look at, Together, there's a couple of things that I think Paul unpacks about how we can be secure um, in God's love. And um, let, me, let me say, firstly, how uh, we could be insecure about God's love. This is the sort of sentimental and vulnerable form of faith. I was thinking about how to sum this up in a sort of neat couple of sentences. But I think this is a version of, 
This is a version of faith that doesn't last very long. And I, I certainly know that I've lived in this experience sometimes and needed to mature out of it. And there's probably only one way you do come out of this. But if, you, if you're going to be insecure about God's love, you're probably going to have an internal logic that goes something like this. If God loves me, he won't want anything bad to happen to me. Bad things are happening to me, therefore God doesn't love me. <laughs> Does anyone else sort of acknowledge that that sort of logic is actually quite hard to shake off? There's something about it that has a semblance of truth. Often the most, com- most dangerous lies are the ones that are based on certain truths, aren't they? But they, they, they try to oversimplify everything and take the mystery out of life and out of God's purpose. This is one of those very subtle ideas that deeply ingrained, I think, in a lot of our assumptions about the world. And the big problem with it, as, I, as I've shown here, is that when anything difficult happens in our lives, as Christians, we don't just then have a difficulty. We have a difficulty that makes us question everything that we thought we believed. You know, now we've not only lost a job, but we're wondering if God still loves us. Have you ever been there? Now we've not only lost a loved one, but we're questioning whether God even has a purpose and plan for our lives, if he could let that happen. Those are deep experiences that we all go through. And I'm not pretending that I actually tried. I thought about it. I was sitting there thinking, what's the alternative to this? And I just, thought, I just realized, actually, this is the whole point of the book of Job, isn't it? <laughs> there isn't an alternative. You can't actually write out a neat logical formula that's the true version of this falsehood. All that you can really do is put up things like this. You know, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, those are beautiful words, aren't they? And they've, they've given strength to so many souls who've otherwise felt like they were about to collapse. Because what it's saying is, it's not a neat logical statement of if this, then that. But really, it's, it's, I suppose the, the, what you could say is, instead of this, it's simply saying something like, if God loves me, he will never abandon me in tough times. I mean, that's probably about as far as you can go, I think, in replacing this with a true statement. There's mystery in why suffering happens in the way that it does. We can't just explain it with some logical statement. But what we can say, according to Romans 8, is if God loves me, he will not abandon me in difficult times. In fact, somehow, mysteriously, he will work through those difficulties to strengthen me, even in spite of how weak those things have made me feel. Now, has anybody else been through one of those? I'm sure you have, haven't you? Where you would never have wanted what you faced but in some mysterious way, God came closer in that experience and used that experience to strengthen you in ways that maybe it'd be difficult to imagine how that otherwise could have happened. Because sometimes it's only when we realize that, <laughs> it's only when, we, when everything else is stripped away that we realize that God was really all we ever had to hold on to. And it's the stripping away that's painful. And the reason I'm saying all of this is because this is what Paul then highlights in this passage in Romans. No, we also glory in our sufferings. He's wanting to make this simple point that we experience God's love through suffering. We know the facts. God loves us. And even as we go through difficult times, we know that that actually is not up for question. Because of the facts that have been demonstrated once and for all in the death of Jesus. 
whatever difficult things we face, what is not being re- rethought is whether God loves us. Amen? That he's not, he's not sort of, though you must not in- reinterpret your whole theology based on difficulty. If God loves you, then whatever else these challenges may represent, they do not represent a change of heart as far as God is concerned. And that is a deep truth to come to terms with. Instead, what Paul's saying here is that actually, through these sufferings, we rejoice through them. We don't rejoice in them, if you like. We don't rejoice because of the suffering, but we rejoice with what that suffering can do and how God can use even suffering to transform us. And he gives a list here, doesn't he, of things that that suffering produces. Perseverance and character and hope. Like I say, there are some things that only really change in us when other things are stripped away, painful though that may be. And I wonder whether some of us are facing some of those seasons of life right now where it feels like the things we previously took for granted are not as steady as they were or even have been removed altogether. And in those times, we're calling out to God in a new way. We're reaching out for help and relying on him in a deeper way than we otherwise would have done. What Paul is saying here is that actually God uses even tough times to help us draw near to him. Now back to these people that have been swimming in the sea. Crazy people, hey? Um, You know, the truth is actually, when we put ourselves voluntarily into challenging circumstances, we grow tougher and stronger and more resilient and more perseverance, don't we? You know, this is why why there's this strange mystery around people who go to the gym. I'm not a gym member myself. I do actually, I am actually, I'll I'll just, I'll tell you this much just so, so that I'm standing with those who've been in the sea. I am actually, I do love cold water. I know that's a strange thing to say, but I, I love at least what it does for me. We have, back at home, we have this sort of, um, it's really a glorified paddling pool, but we sort of sunk it into the garden. And every morning I go into this, um, I dive into this uh, little pool and I swim, attached to a little harness, I swim uh, a little bit and get out very cold, particularly at the moment. It's pretty chilly in there um, through, through, the, through the January and February months. But I do it every morning because I, it does me so much good. And every time, particularly when the, whenever the thermometer's dropping below sort of five degrees, it's really pretty Baltic. And every time I stand there and I look at this, and I have to sort of, once it's that cold, you have to sort of mentally a little bit prepare yourself. Like I'm at, you know, and I, so it is every day, but I still have to stand there. And I say to myself, deal with it, Andrew. <laughs> That's what I say, I literally say, deal with it. And then I dive in and, and, you, and you deal with it. But the reason I tell you this is to say, of course it's, of course, it's painful at one level, but you know it builds resilience. And I wouldn't stop doing that now. Because I actually really miss it. I did. I did go in the sea this afternoon. Just be, I can't. I miss it. If I don't go in, if I don't have that sort of experience, most days I, I find I, I just miss something. I, I don't know. It's, it's odd, isn't it? You're looking at me like I'm really weird now. They've done it as well. It's not just me. Uh, anyway, my point is, my point is, these things do you good physically. And if you go to the gym, it does you good physically, even though when you leave the gym, are you weaker or stronger than you were when you went into the gym? Weaker, aren't you, right? Of course you are. You, if, you, if, you, if you try to go back into the gym and bench press what you just bench press as you're leaving, you couldn't do it. Going to the gym is bad for you, right? It makes you weaker. <laughs> Only keep doing it <laughs> with a bit of recovery built in, and it will make you stronger. And I think this is what all of these experiences are like in life. If you, if you have that kind of experience where it's just tough, it's cold, it's a shock to the system, 
Of course, initially, it doesn't feel like it's doing you any good. But this is Paul's point. Actually, it's building you. It's growing your resilience. It's building your character. It's helping you to get out of your comfort zone. And that's good for you. And this is what Paul's saying here. Actually, in our suffering, that's true for us physically, but Paul's obviously applying it more spiritually. In our suffering, in our challenge in life, God is at work to bring us out of our comfort zone, to strip away things that we relied on too much so that we might rely on him more and actually grow stronger. And this is our experience, isn't it? Of course, we wouldn't choose it. I'm not pretending we would choose it, but we wouldn't change it either in a a strange way. Because what we learn about God when the chips are down are things we could not learn about God from reading books. Do I hear an amen to that? And I write books, but I know that none of, nothing, nothing you can read, no sermon I can give could possibly bring the kind of transformation that suffering brings. It tra- changes us to a place of deep reliance on God. We experience God's love through suffering. Now, what is the application of this? I was thinking to myself, you know, how do you, how do you apply this? Because, of course, the application is, go, is not go forth and suffer, you know, especially when you're on a weekend away in a four-star hotel. I would say to you, if you're comfortable in life, I mean, this is a side note, not particularly a spiritual sermon kind of note, but if you're, if you're actually quite comfortable, I would say, I, I just think, my, 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 for what it's worth, my humble advice would be, I think it's good to do at least one thing every day that's a challenge. Like, do something every day that you don't find easy, that doesn't feel comfortable. Because I just think when you put yourself out of your comfort zone, you're in the growth space. And that might be, uh, learning French, or it might be jumping in cold water, or it might be fasting and praying, or solitude, these things that you don't find comfortable. Do something regularly, maybe not daily, do something regularly that you don't find easy. Because out of your comfort zone, character, and perseverance, and hope are forged. Amen? Well, you've signed up to it now, those of you said amen. So I want to encourage us, you know, I, and the reason I say this is because, of course, you know, the, the world in which the Bible was written was not an insulated, safe, protected kind of world like the one that we live in. We actually have to go out of our way to sometimes to face some of the challenges that help us to grow. So if you're comfortable, I'd want to disturb your comfort. <laughs> but if you're disturbed as in you're going through a really challenging time right now, I would want to comfort you. And the comfort is to say whatever you're facing, whatever challenging circumstances are disrupting your peace right now, the comfort is to say God's love for you is, as, it is exactly as it was when Jesus died for us on that cross. Nothing has changed. And your circumstances are not going to be that which breaks you. But by God's grace, he's going to help you to be transformed through that suffering, that you might become more like Jesus and that he might do good things even out of bad things. So if you're comfortable, I would want to disturb you. And if you're disturbed, I'd want to comfort you with this truth. God works all things together for our good. Now, I put this picture up because... um, because actually, I just thought it might also encourage you. I wanted to encourage those of us who are going through tough times. Maybe things that we'd planned that haven't worked, or things we didn't plan that have come our way. And I wanted to encourage you that that's not just something you're experiencing. That's something that the great Apostle Paul experienced as well. Because, you know, it's really, I find it almost quite sobering to read Paul's words here. Suffering, 
produces all these positives. Because after he wrote this letter to the church in Rome, he planned to visit them. I said that this morning, didn't I? And he had a really neat plan. He was going to go to Jerusalem first to deliver a gift to the Christians there. Then from Jerusalem, he was going to go to Rome. And then from Rome, he was going to go to Spain. That was Paul's plan. But how many of us know that life rarely goes to plan? (laughs) And even for Paul, the great apostle Paul, who was trying to serve Jesus with all he had, after he wrote this letter to the Romans, it seems like for about a period of three years, nothing went to plan. He suffered relentlessly. When he went to Jerusalem, he was arrested, falsely accused. He was put in a prison cell just north of Tel Aviv and forgotten for two years after one or two trials. No one remembered the great apostle. He spent two years in prison. He finally gets on a ship to go for Rome, to sail for Rome. And you think he would have thought, right, finally, the plan's back on track. Don't know what all that delay was about. But now finally I'm going to Rome. Only that ship gets shipwrecked off Malta. They're all in the sea, fighting for their lives. They make it to land. They light a fire. And as Paul goes to put a log on the fire, a poisonous viper jumps out and locks onto his arm, right? And at that point, Paul must have been thinking, he's under arrest. He's going to Rome to face a death sentence, potentially. And there's a viper hanging off your arm. It's like, could anything else go wrong? (laughs) And that's the great apostle Paul called by the Lord to be an apostle to the Gentiles. You know, suffering is going to come our way. But how we respond to it, through the help of the Holy Spirit, can actually be the making of us, not the breaking of us. And in Paul's case, when he finally got to Rome, he was placed in a dungeon in what's known as the Mamertine prison. Paul would have been lowered down through that hole in the ceiling. And uh, right at the end of his life, he wrote the letter of 2 Timothy in this dungeon before he was finally beheaded in about 67 AD outside Rome. But this plaque here uh, on the wall underneath the the opening uh, is in Latin, but it commemorates all of the Roman soldiers who became Christians while Paul was imprisoned in that prison. Because whatever happened, he never stopped sharing the good news of Jesus. I find that so inspiring, don't you? Here's the commemoration that out of the suffering and challenge and things and adversity and things not going to plan, God works all things together for good. So whatever you're going through, amazing things can still happen when we refuse to give up and instead put our trust in God. Suffering is one of the ways that we experience God coming close and making us more like Christ. Now the second thing Paul says, and with this we'll turn the corner and bring this to land. We experience God's love in the Holy Spirit. These are the two areas of experience then. We experience God's love through suffering and we experience God's love in the Holy Spirit. Notice the language here. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We know from the facts that God loves us even when life is tough and we're suffering. That's not changed. But imagine a father and a child walking down the road together and the father loves the son or the daughter and they probably know that. But imagine if the father should scoop down and pick the child up and give them a hug. Now they really know that he loves them. He loved them anyway, but now they experience that love. And I think that's how I interpret this verse in Romans 5. We know God loves us. He demonstrated it on Golgotha in 
etched in time and space. But there are moments where the Holy Spirit wants to sort of scoop us up into the arms of the Father and cause us to experience the love that God has actually always had for us in Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul's referring to here. God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. As you track on through Romans, you'll find that the ministry of the Holy Spirit becomes more and more prominent as the letter goes on. In Romans 8, the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to empower us so that we don't have to live our old lives of sin. In other words, he gives us freedom. He liberates us from the power of sin. The Holy Spirit is the one who, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. There's that embrace again. He hugs us into the love of God so that it's not just that the Father loves us, but his children know that he loves us, even in the tough times. And then in Romans 15, Paul talks, Romans 15, 19, he speaks about the things that he has done to make known the good news of Jesus. And he says, the things I've done by what I have said and done in the power of the Holy Spirit with signs and wonders in the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit is not only the one who helps us free from sin, who assures us of the Father's love, but he also empowers us for mission to our world, to make Jesus Christ known. And I say all of that simply to make this very obvious point, which is we need the help of the Holy Spirit. And I don't think we realize how much we need the help of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I recognize in myself a slight tendency to almost assume the Holy Spirit is some kind of risk that I need to manage. <laughs> you know, he, he could, he, it's good to have the help of the Holy Spirit, but not too much, because he could really muck it up if you sort of give him too much. So, you know, it's, kind of let him in, but keep him under control. You know, where do we get this kind of thinking from, that there is a version of Christianity that is in any way effectual apart from the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Not a fraction of the Holy Spirit, but the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Can you hear the language of superabundance here? God has poured his love into our hearts. It's an overflowing presence of the Holy Spirit that we need if we are to be in any way effective in the mission God's called us to. So I thought I would just reflect with you for a couple of moments as we close about what is it then, let's, I don't mean to go too negative now, but what is it that might stop the flow. This is a language of like flowing water is the metaphor here. What is it that might stop the flow of the Holy Spirit? And with no expense spared, I've brought a visual aid at this point, um, which I really actually quite wanted. I think there might be two here. I really, oh yeah, there are two here. Right, I'm just going to use this one. I really wanted to sort of plumb this in and do it properly, but I thought the hotel might not like it if, if my experiment didn't work. But I suppose I just wanted to point out Something that I think we've probably, if you've ever done any gardening, you've probably, we've probably all experienced this phenomenon where the, the hose is turned on, right, and nothing's coming out. We all know this experience, don't we? And, and we all realize that if the hose is turned on, so there's nothing wrong with the source, and yet nothing's coming out, it probably means that somewhere up the line, there's a few of these. Had this experience? And I suppose I was just wanting to reflect for it with us for a few moments about what, what are these, spiritually speaking. If there's nothing wrong with the source, we are living in the day of the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost, the day when the Holy Spirit is being poured out on all people. So there's nothing wrong with the source. What is it then that might 
restrict the flow of the gracious Holy Spirit, who I think we need more than we ever have realized. And I think, I'm just going to be honest, I think for myself, well, here's a couple of things, and they link to various scriptures, but I think one of the restrictions on the flow of the Holy Spirit in my life is that I, I have a sort of form of intellectual rationalism. And I just struggle to almost take seriously supernatural activity of God. I don't know about you, but we are trained in Western education to almost be, we're indoctrinated to the idea that this world is a sort of closed system and everything that happens can be explained by natural forces. Well, that is not exactly the New Testament, is it? And yet I struggle, I'm just being honest, I struggle sometimes to release that sort of almost inner doubt that actually this is a really authentic ministry of the Holy Spirit. I can be cynical of other claims and activity, and I find that that just produces, for me, a restriction of the flow of the Holy Spirit. I find I'm so prone to just assuming that there's a rational explanation for everything or a rational solution to everything. Is this just me, or is anyone else caught a little bit in this as well? There is not always a rational explanation for things, and there is not, all a rational, or not always a rational solution for things. Sometimes the only explanation and the only solution is the power of the Holy Spirit. But you can't comprehend that simply by working it out cognitively. You have to allow that to be part of your trust and embrace of God's greater ministry and plan through the Holy Spirit. I think for myself, so often this comes down to the fact that I try and solve my problems rationally. And then I only at the last minute actually think I could pray about some of these things. Does anyone else a bit like this? You know, I was... I actually, uh, to cut a long story short, I was doing some filming a little while back. And when I'm doing that, I tend to wear contact lenses, daily contact lenses. And we were high up in the mountains doing this filming. And I managed overnight um, to try and take a contact lens out. And I managed to push it in somehow. And I lost my contact lens in my eye, which is not a good scenario when you're sort of 3,000 meters up in the Alps. So anyway, uh, the, the guide I was with, who's not a Christian, we were with two guys who's not a Christian and a cameraman who is a Christian, who's a friend. And I, said to the, I showed the guy, she tried to flush it out, and it, there was no, no, no joy. So I went to bed that night, hoping it would be gone in the morning. But in the morning, my eye was like raging sore red. And she took one look at me and said, we've got to get you down to hospital, which was a real negative because we hadn't yet been to the summit. And the whole point of this bit of filming was we had to get to the summit, and it was going to be a route and journey and experience and so forth. So we're meant to be going up to the summit, and we don't have any more days for filming apart from that one day, and we're now going back down to hospital. And only then did I sort of last-ditch think, maybe, you, I don't know, can you pray about contact lenses? I'm not, sure that, I mean, I'm not sure that's in the Bible, is it? So anyway, I turned to Andy, the cameraman, and I just said, um, well, we might as well try praying, you know. <laughs> So we walk, we're walking down, and, he's, and he's, um, he's a cameraman, so he's not, exactly, he's not exactly a drama queen. You know, he's a cameraman, not a drama queen. So he's very understated. And he puts his hand on my shoulder and prayed a pretty, I thought, pretty mundane, ineffective prayer, to be honest. I was like, is that the best you've got, Andy? Come on. God, please do something with Andrew's eye. It was, it was about as good as that. I opened my eye, and, I, and it was gone. And I looked at Andy and I said, is my eye still red? And he looked in and he said, no, it's not. Within five minutes, I had a new contact lens in and we turned around and went back up and did the filming for the rest of the day. Much to the surprise of our two guides, for all they knew, we were heading down 
the cameraman put his hand on the other guy's shoulder, and now we're going back up. <laughs> but it was a little reminder to me, it turns out you can pray about contact lenses. <laughs> and pretty much anything else. And sometimes the solution is not a rational one that we can work out or sort ourselves. Sometimes we just have to move out of that restrictive zone to a place of trust. Yeah. Just opening ourselves up to the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit. God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's so important that you know, we are not going to make a dent on the big wide world. It's not by might or by power. This is actually my, I often try and have a sort of verse for the year by just spending a bit of time at the start of the year just praying and asking God to give me a verse to really focus on. And that's the verse I really felt for this year. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's not going to happen through more effort, better planning, whatever else it may be, but through the help of the Holy Spirit. I saw on the BBC radio, you probably know this, but BBC radio was saying, saying how um, Exeter University is now offering a master's in magic and occult sciences. And I'm like, our world is absolutely rife with dark forces of evil. And I did a talk recently about this, and I'm not into deliverance ministry and all that stuff. I'm not, I'm not one of those, right? So before you label me one of those, I'm not one of those. Whatever one of those is, that's not me. But I did a talk, and we were talking about Paul in Ephesus, and I just briefly mentioned this. And, and after, we had a Q&A afterwards, and like one after another, the people there were just like, yeah, everyone. one of them was a nurse. She said, everyone. Everyone on my, in, in my team goes to seances. I'm the only one who doesn't go. Another one's like a chairman in a, in a school tr- board of trustees. Like, yeah, the, the school wants to try and raise money through hosting a, a seance. And I'm not, I don't, you know, it's, it's, it's everywhere. <laughs> and, and the point I'm making here is those things are dark and re- very real. And we are not going to make a dent on the big wide world that we're called to reach by might or by power but only by the Holy Spirit, only through God's miracle-working power in the Holy Spirit. And this is Paul saying, that comes later, this is Paul saying, whatever else, whatever else to be a Christian means, it is to have a deep experience of the Holy Spirit pouring God's love into our hearts. And I just felt maybe there's one or two of us who recognize that our hearts are probably a little bit like this at the moment. There's nothing wrong with the source. But in our hearts, we've, we've closed ourselves off to the very thing that we need to open ourselves up to, God's life-giving presence. Maybe it's intellectual rationalism. Maybe it's, maybe it's relationship things. You know, I think that's the other thing we're told in Scripture, isn't it? That we grieve the Holy Spirit. We, we put another kink into the pipe when we hold a grudge against somebody else. When we refuse to forgive when we refuse to release the other person from what they've done to us, it restricts the flow of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I see too many kinks in the pipe in my heart sometimes. And I just want to say, you know, even today, Lord, I want to be a free-flowing channel for your Holy Spirit. That you might both fill me with this incredible love that you have, but you might fill me to overflowing so that I might share that with a world that needs it more than ever. And if maybe that's you as well, you just want to release your heart freshly to the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Maybe just you could you know, do something, reach out your hands in front of you or kneel or do something to just express that to God. And I'd love to pray over us as we, um, as we finish. Take a moment. How do you want to respond? Maybe you want to physically kneel. Or maybe you want to reach out your hands. But 
if you just recognize there's too many kinks in the pipe, there's too much restriction on what God wants to do. I've put too many controls on him as if he's some kind of risk that I need to manage when he's actually our only hope. Heavenly Father, forgive us for in any way grieving your gracious presence, the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we want to have this pouring out, this outpouring of your love into our hearts through the Spirit. And we ask you to forgive us, Lord. We humble ourselves before you. Forgive us for trying to control you in any way or limit what you want to do. Forgive me, Lord, for my rationalism that makes me think I can, the only things that are real are things I can explain or control. Where did that idea come from? Lord, I pray that you would just release me from that and that I would have a new openness to actually what only you can explain and only you can control. Father, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. I pray for those who are going through tough times of suffering right now. Father, I pray you would pour out your Holy Spirit on them, that they would know that you are closer than you've ever been, even in the pain. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, let the ministry of the Holy Spirit bring your healing, your deliverance, your freedom, and your joy. Hope does not put us to shame because God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given to us. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Amen. Amen. Amen.